Welcome to Innisfil Accelerates, a podcast about the people and technology transforming one Ontario town. Today, we're talking about power. Over the last few episodes, we've been talking a lot about the smart city, about how to integrate technology into a future city in a way that makes life better for regular people. An emphasis on public transit and ubiquitous internet connectivity, connections that allow for easier access to public goods and services. But all of those technologies and many others depend on one thing, power. Almost every plan for a smart city features a similar claim, that the city of the future will be powered by clean, sustainable energy. A global technology race is underway to figure out just how to do that. From next-generation battery technology that can outperform lithium-ion, to smart grids that allow for more efficient use and sharing of energy. But there are so many competing technologies and vested interests in the design of the energy system of the future. So to get some clarity about what that system might actually function like in the real world, I reached out to Ryan Franks. Ryan is an engineer that has worked with businesses and municipalities to design and implement green energy projects. He currently works as the business director for the Energy Safety Response Group. You know, the thing about smart cities is that it requires a tremendous amount of buy-in because there's so many people that are affected. You have businesses, civic organizations, citizens, and depending upon how it's how it's formed and where it is, really, there's difference amongst countries and, and cultures. Uh, it can be very difficult or relatively simple in, in some instances to form them and get it going. Yeah, talk to me a little bit more about developing sustainable energy um, inside of a city. What are the biggest engineering challenges to pulling that off right now? As the technology, the off-the-shelf technology as it exists right now, what are the biggest challenges to try and get one off of, uh, say, fossil fuel production, for example? The challenge with renewable energy, I mean, specifically is that there are a lot of regulatory barriers. So there's a lot of soft costs that are involved in terms of permitting, in terms of interconnection, in terms of getting the right siting. You're talking about this new energy economy where you're going from a very centralized plant structure that distributes energy out via transmission lines down to the distribution level. You know, most of the concepts in smart cities revolve around having energy produced very close to, if not directly adjacent to, the point where it's consumed. It's a completely different kind of mindset that has a lot of entrenched interests that, that's hard to overcome that kind of inertia of development. Can you talk more about some of those entrenched interests and why they're so difficult to, to change? I think it's kind of obvious on its face, but maybe you can spell it out a little further. Yeah, well, you, you have all of these sunk costs, really. It comes down to economics for me, and that you have all of these interests that have costs spread out over a certain number of decades to be able to, to pay for transmission costs, to be able to pay for uh, power plant costs. And the vision has kind of dramatically changed. I mean, if you look at any sort of graph or any sort of forecast for the cost of PV explicitly comes to mind, but a lot of energy sources, it's rapidly decreasing. And it's the only option that makes sense really in the long term for most locations around the world now to, to develop new 
new power, uh, new power generation, I should say. So with just like with anything, I mean, I it's sort of just like another business challenge that has to be figured out and overcome. Do you see that on the near horizon in the near term? We I just was reading a piece last week about how um, solar production is just starting to pass by like natural gas production. It's just kind of crossed that threshold. And as you point out, it's all about the dollars at the end of the day. I mean, you, you can't get people to buy in when the product is going to be twice as much as the existing product. It's just never going to win. Do you see this coming in the, in the near term? I've been talking about this as a reporter in various ways for upwards of 20 years. And it's, just, it's always just around the corner. You know what I mean? It always seems to be like the target keeps getting moved up. What's your sense of that, if you want to gaze into your crystal ball a little bit? Yeah, well, one of the Achilles heels of, of a lot of distributed energy resources is that they don't always generate electricity. So that's one of the one of the things that has really been a hindrance, I would say. They needed that connection to the broader electric grid in order to function because, you know, it's cliched to say at this point, but, you know, the sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow. However, inner energy storage. Energy storage, you know, just really fundamentally decouples the use of energy from the generation of electricity. And that plays into smart cities in a whole lot of ways. Yes. Talk to me more about that. I was uh, interviewed Steve Levine a couple of years ago who wrote this book called The Powerhouse about the kind of battery race that's underway in various nations to try and find a replacement for lithium ion that has an even greater energy density on par with uh, fossil fuels. Is that the, the, the ticket, do you think? Or is it just about scaling up existing technologies or some combination of the two? Well, yeah, I mean, with smart cities, especially, you're looking at usage patterns, right? So you might have people that are, you know, at least pre-pandemic times, uh, were, were away from home during the day. But that's when the most the most sunlight is typically available. It depends on where you live, of course, but that, that's when the most, the most sunshine is available. And you have to have a way to uh, transfer and displace the time when it's, it's generated to the time when it's used. So, you know, getting to your question, though, I mean, a little bit more specifically, I don't think anybody really, I mean, aside from maybe some battery manufacturers, would say that lithium-ion is the perfect battery. In battery talk, there are really two things that, that come to mind in terms of, of scaling up. I mean, one is this innovation factor, like you're talking about, where you're constantly on the search for better anodes, better materials, better separators, better construction of the whole module, and also reducing those soft costs for deployment. But the other really important thing is the manufacturability. The costs have really decreased for lithium-ion kind of for stationary storage, piggybacking off of the mobility and the electric vehicle usage of them. You have these massive plants uh, constructed in a lot of places, um, you know, primarily China at this point, are, are just streaming out batteries, let's say. And uh, there's a lot of, uh, of momentum behind that that is really hard to change. So when a technical, technological innovation comes to light, it's, it's going to take that other component of the manufacturability in order to make it successful, truly. Mm. When you think about the distributed network in a new development like Innisfil is pursuing with this orbit, where it's kind of centrally planned, obviously they're trying to get buy-ins from other stakeholders, but there's a large degree of ability to kind of plan from the ground up, which you know a lot of existing jurisdictions just don't have. <clears throat> in developing a kind of smart grid, uh, you know, distributed generation, perhaps using solar, 
batteries, as you say, to kind of shift the actual usage. Is this a workable model as currently uh, with the technology on hand right now, do you think? Or do we still have some more work to go to actually make it uh, make it feasible for a, a development that's going to be potentially uh, be breaking ground here right away? No, it's it's absolutely possible. The technologically, there I don't see any sort of barrier whatsoever. Well, let me back up for a second. So there are under construction massive fields of of PV, massive wind turbines, massive standalone battery structures, but also battery structures connected to to generation sources. So getting it in the ground, having the product available. That's not a problem. It's figuring out the right way to do it and figuring out, again, the, the economics of it, potentially, that are really going to be the crucial point in Innisfil or really any other smart city. That's great. Um, anything else you wanted to hit on before I let you go? Yeah, the I would say that you know energy is kind of one of these pillars, like we talked about, just to kind of come full circle. It's, it's Energy is one of these pillars of smart cities. And I think it's really important in the development of a smart city concept to connect the energy with all of the other aspects. So to connect it with the digitization, to connect it with good governance. And really, you know, there's a lot of wonderful things that people can do with their lives. There's a lot of wonderful things that cities can do with with, with how they're developed. But the most beneficial outcome is when it makes sense for individuals, for groups, and for society as a whole. And I think that's kind of that pillar that energy supports in the smart city world. Yeah, you make a good point there about getting buy-in and not having just um, kind of elites make these choices that it actually, you get buy-in from the people on the ground who are ultimately going to have to pay the bills. If you can't get them on board, it's just not going to work, is it? Right. Okay, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for making time. Thank you, Dan. Innisfil Accelerates is a podcast sponsored by the town of Innisfil, To learn more about how they plan to power the city of the future, go to innisfilaccelerates.ca. 